you're here, you're a guest, we want to welcome you and say thank you. I'll see a few of you here today. We want to welcome you and just say to you that we are a family and you belong to us because we are the body of Christ. Um, at 10 o'clock this morning, uh, we will have our second phase of uh, the group that comes to church first service. Those who forgot to turn their clock ahead. But uh, let me just share with you today that um, God is speaking to us. And I'm going to ask that you'd go ahead and stand with me one more time and uh, be ready to receive and accept a personal word from the Lord. And there are nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. And uh, one of them is word of knowledge, word of wisdom is another, another is prophecy. And uh, the Lord just wants to say something to us today. And so if, if you feel comfortable, close your eyes, raise your hands, um, but uh, the Lord's going to speak through me to you. Do you not realize my love for you from the very beginning of creation to the very nth of the beginning, I loved you. I knew you in your mother's womb. I called you and I anointed you and I gifted you before the foundation of this created earth. I have established my word that it would do what it was said to do. I have created beings called angels that protect my word. When you give voice to my word, they pay attention. You, my sons and daughters, I have given you a pastor that hears my voice, that understands the kingdom of God and understands spiritual things. But I say to you, as my sons and daughters, you have that same ability. But you must recognize that I, every single day, desire to have fellowship and to be with you, to talk with you, to relate with you, to listen to you. Know this, this day, that the word love is a word that none of us in this room None of you in this room understand truly. Not that you don't know, because I have revealed myself to you, but that there's so much more. And to connect with that is to connect with me, to relate with me, to have time with me. And when every time you have time with me, that love revelation will explode in your heart. I invite you today to meet with me on a daily basis. I invite you today to hear from your spirit, from you, who you are, from me. Because I have some secrets I want to tell you. I have some pertinent things regarding your life that I want to tell you that I've been waiting on you to come to me and to relate with me.
I love you. I love you. Be with me. Hallelujah. Father, we receive that now in Jesus' name. We relate with that in Jesus' name. It is our passion and our desire to do that this day. Lord, help me with the word you've given me to absolutely overwhelm each person here with the truth of who you are. And I give you just amazing applause from my spirit because I know you love me. You love us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you are seated. Praise the Lord. That's what the Lord wants to do with you personally every day. We're talking about the body of Christ discovering God, having encounters. In this series, we're looking at everyday encounters that people had in the Bible that's recorded in the Bible. And from there, they discover who God is. From what God, how God responds is how we know who God is. So we found that it makes a difference how you think about God and who he is. Your concept of God affects everything that you do. If you think he is hard, if you think he's kind, if you think he's critical, if you think he's loving and compassionate, whatever you think of God will determine as the church, the body of Christ, your relationship with God. And when I say relationship, I'm not talking about being born again. I'm talking about how you relate. In, in scripture, the, the truth of Scripture it talks about relationship and fellowship. Relationship is that we become born again. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all sin. We have relationship with God. Uh, we are with God. That's called relationship. Fellowship is when you spend time with God. But when I'm talking about relationship, it's how you're relating with God. See, God wants to take you far more deeper than you ever would dream of. What Pastor Dan said to us, and um, in my office, he said the same thing to me, what Pastor Dan said, that there's someone here that, that you have been asking and asking and asking God for gifts. God's already gifted you. It's been done before the foundation of the earth. And I thank God he did that for me because if he would have gifted me because of who I was on this earth, I would have messed it up. But he gave me the gifts and the abilities that's in me, an ability to do that. All I have to do is become obedient and to have encounters with Christ, to know who he is. I said this to the second service. I didn't say it to you, so I'll say it to you today. I want to be so full of Christ that if a mosquito bites me, it flies away singing, there is power in the blood. Amen? I hate mosquitoes. I don't like jury duty either. I was there Friday. I got rejected. Amen. 
<laughs> so uh, they asked me a lot of questions about me and my family, what I did for a living. If I uh, had ministered, yes, I counseled police officers, fire department in the Carolinas and ride-alongs and went to uh, suicide calls and all the different things. So I guess the defense uh, didn't like me being there because they're charging someone in prostitution with a prostitution ring in Diamond Bar, one of the massage parlors. So, uh, but I spent last night for about a half hour praying for that young lady that uh, God would have heard because when they're asking me questions, I gave them the gospel. Amen. So everybody in that, that room got the gospel uh, Friday. So amen. Amen. So, uh, but it was, it was interesting. Anyways, let's go on. Whatever you think of God will determine, as a church, the body of Christ, your relationship with God, how you relate with him, how you think, how you decide things, how, where your faith will be, where your hope will be. Many had encounters with Jesus when he walked on this earth, and last week, remember, we talked about the leper, and we learned three things about the leper, and today, what I want to talk to you about is, is the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler, and we're going to talk about three things that he learned from Jesus when he encountered Jesus. And uh, what I love about this is uh, there's some things I'm going to share with you that uh, probably some of you didn't know historically of who the rich young ruler is. I'm literally going to tell you who he was. And uh, you're going to recognize him in the Bible. You're going to run home today and uh, you're going to read all about him because uh, very interesting. The reason we call him the rich young ruler, because remember the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and uh, they're similar. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke says he was rich. Matthew says he was young. And Luke says he was a ruler. So we put all three together, synoptic gospels, and he's a rich young ruler. So let's read out of the book of Mark, chapter 10. And uh, let's begin with verse 17. And let's read this story. Now as he was going out on the road... One came running to Jesus and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Some of you remember that I did a whole series on this. But let's go a little bit deeper. Let's, let's go to another different way, uh, the same truth, but let's find out um, how we can respond uh, to Jesus and know who Jesus is. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him. Everyone say loved him. Looking at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at the word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And I will show you the possessions that he had. So what did the rich young ruler learn from the encounter? And Of course, we're going to talk about three things, and that's what I normally do. Sometimes 
Uh, I won't, but in most cases, we'll have three things. So let's look at the first thing that he learned, the first answer. He learned that good is not good enough. There it is. Matthew 19, 16 and 17 says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. This young man's focus was being good enough to go to heaven. This is where many are today. Many religions think this way. You hear sermons all the time, and it's all about being gooder. You ask the question, how, how do you get to heaven? And they, most of them answer this, by being good, by doing good things. But that's not how you get to heaven. We know that. So Jesus responds in this encounter very uh, distinctly because there's something that Jesus wanted to show this young man. He says, don't call me good. There is only one good, and that's God. Now, all of us know that Jesus was God, so why would Jesus say that? Because when you encounter, when you have a personal encounter with God, you go past man's wisdom. You go past man's knowledge. When you spend time with God, you experience something as greater than just what looks right or what feels good. It is spiritual. It's a depth that is so deep that can transform you, that can change you, that when you're walking in fear, it can take fear away and give you faith. When you feel hopeless, it will give you hope an encounter with Jesus Christ. Everyone say the name of Jesus. Say it again, the name of Jesus. You see, now all of us know Jesus is God, but there is only one good enough, and that is God. So in essence, what Jesus did was he answered, he said, he says, it's not by how good you are that gets you to heaven. But a lot of times when we read the scripture, we, we, we stop there, that's the answer, okay? That's the answer. And, and we, wanna, we wanna understand that Jesus was really showing him in his life because he asked him the question about the commandments and he gave, notice this, I want you to keep it in your craw here, that he asked him of six commandments, And these commandments had something that they were talking about. And what Jesus was doing was pinpointing something with this, this young man who has done amazing things, who was a rich, young ruler, who had, had, he's attained so much at a young age. And when Jesus brought out the six, he felt good. Because in essence, he was doing, he was fulfilling those six. Let's go on. By the way, we get our word good, English word good, from the word God. God is the only one good enough to live in heaven. Without the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we cannot go to heaven. So good doesn't make it. Now, we should do good. Amen? 
but God is the only one good enough to be in heaven. Ephesians 2, uh, 10 says this, we are created in Christ for good works, not by good works. We're created for good works. We are to do good works. We are to do good, but good doesn't get you to heaven. I don't do this very often, but I'm going to do it, and uh, they're kind of used to it by now. But years ago, I asked Ryan when he was little, did you hit your sister? He paused, and he answered, yes. And he said, I hit her on the shoulder and not the face. He's pretty smart at that little age there. To him, the shoulder was good and the face was bad. What I'm, what I'm telling you is that we, we have a tendency, what was happening in life, what happens today, is a lot of people are, are guesstimating what it takes to get to heaven. Love br- brings us to heaven when we receive the love of, love of Jesus Christ. So let me tell you the truth regarding heaven Uh, you do one thing bad, you're bad. Years ago, Johnny Carson, I know I'm showing my age. Some of you millennials say, Johnny Carson, who's that? Asked Billy Graham this question. He said, Dr. Graham, have you ever broken a commandment? And Billy Graham answered this, I've broken them all. Think of it, adultery, murder, (laughs) It shocked Johnny Carson. He said, what do you mean? And Billy said, the Bible says if you have broken one, you broke them all. So there's no good. There's no one good. No one is good enough, so you have to rely on the one who came, and his name is Jesus. Everyone say the name Jesus. Oh, there's just so much about that name. I know there's a song, there's something about that name, but there's so much about that name. And when you encounter Jesus Christ, you will always encounter and learn and learn something from him. And it starts by having a born again encounter, by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In the passage we read in Mark, how many commandments did you, you know, that, that he listed, and so I'm asking you, how many do you list? And again, I gave you the answer already, and that's six. But let me say again, isn't there 10 commandments? Did Jesus forget four of them? No. Jesus purposely named the six because the 10 commandments have two categories. When you read the story again, I know some of you are going to go after it again, you, you, you must understand the first four have to do with your relationship with God. The last six have to do with your relationship to others. Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments in another scripture saying that to fulfill all the law, love God and love others, that will fulfill that. See, because there's two categories. In Mark 10, Verse 17 through 22, Jesus only mentioned the commandments that has to do with loving others and treating others correctly. Why is that? Here's the answer. We're asking, what did he learn? He learned that good is not good enough. Jesus could not have mentioned the first commandment 
Thou shalt have no other gods before me, because a young man then couldn't have said, I kept them all. Because he named six that relate to others. He was a good man. But he wasn't good enough to go to heaven. He was asking, how do you get to heaven? And Jesus said the six, and he said, I fulfilled all those. I've done all those. I'm a good man. And we're going to find out historically that he was. <coughs> Jesus knew the rich young ruler had another God, and that other God in his life was possessions. Now, let me just say something to you. Possessions do not keep you from heaven. God wants to bless you with possessions. But it's the love of those possessions that can keep you away from a relationship of confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen? And that was the young man's problem. He was a good man. He was probably gooder than most people. He could do much more because he was rich. He was a ruler. He had an ability to touch lives, and in his life, historically, he did. The first thing he learns is no matter how good you are, that will not get you into heaven. So the second thing he learns is that God requires total commitment. In the story, the young man felt pretty good about himself at the beginning of the conversation. Then Jesus says, one more thing you must do. And remember, he says, one thing you must do, and he got excited because his whole thinking about getting to heaven is what you do. But Jesus hit the area where the man had a problem, and that's why at that point, of discussion with him, he did not receive Jesus Christ. One more thing you must do. Religion is you do more good things than bad things, or it's based on works, and that's not how it goes in our relationship with God. Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship with God based on grace, based on faith in Jesus Christ. And we have to get to that place in our life because in our lives, we're always pressed into doing things and being good and being a part of something and doing all things good and doing this and doing that and, and the feel good of doing good. It's wonderful. Just like this young man, he felt good because he fulfilled six of the commandments. But the word tells us that if you, if you miss one, you miss them all. Billy Graham said, I, I have done, I have sinned, I have broken all of them because he broke one. Mark 10, verse 21 says this One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up your cross and follow. Oh, there's more to that scripture. Take up your cross and follow me. So the question that I'm going to ask here, but I am going to show you the encounter with Jesus brought such a freedom 
in this young man that his life from that time on, even though he went away sad, totally transformed his life. And I'm going to show you in a little bit exactly what this, who this man was and what he did in his life and how his life ended. And it's an amazing thing when you encounter Jesus. It's an amazing thing, even if you're born again, that every single day you drive to encounter Jesus because every time you encounter Jesus, something changes, something is transformed, and something is fixed, and something is healed. Because why? Because Jesus is Lord. But to many in our world, Think that if you just do good things, then that's what life is. No, that doesn't bring the peace you're looking for. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ will bring that peace. Doing as I use this term and you chuckle with it, gooder things, doesn't transform your life. Encountering Jesus transforms your life. Would you give up everything to go to heaven? You know what? We're all in church. We all need to say yes. We need to get to a place in our life of understanding what is Jesus saying to this young man? What can we learn of what he learned? A better question is, are you giving up all every day, not would you? Are you giving up all? And it's amazing to me how people can get, who give 100% to God in doing things, gripe about 10%. It's amazing to me how the Bible says to give and it should be given back to you. But there are a lot of people who want to be given to first before they're a giver. So I want you to listen really close because this is where the young man, I believe, really was transformed in his concept of God and his, his ability to relate in life. Did Jesus tell this guy to sell everything to go to heaven? No, Jesus did not say that. Look at verse 21 again. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Everyone say, loved him. And said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor. See, he, that's what he said. In order to go to heaven, you, that's not what he said. Because that's not the finish of the scripture. And you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up your cross and then follow me. Come, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, how you get to heaven is take up the cross and follow me. But he's saying, young man, what's stopping you from taking up your cross and following me are your possessions, young man. You feel good about yourself because you're gooder than everybody else. And he probably was. And historically, we're going to find out that he was. We're going to find out that this, this man, young man, was an amazing young man, had such ability and gifting in his life, and had such a heart for people, and did such good things. 
But see, he was searching. He was searching for an answer of a situation in his life. And he encountered Jesus and Jesus went right to the point. And said, you have done everything good, but one more thing you must do. (laughs) But the conclusion of it was, take up your cross and follow me. But young men, nothing wrong with possessions. But it's your possessions that's stopping you from taking up your cross. See, every person gets saved the same way. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's how you get saved. To deny self, and in the case of this young man, it was his possessions. What's holding me back from being totally committed to Christ? What's holding me back from from totally being sold out and saying, enough's enough, I'm going to be totally sold out to Christ. And the first thought we have is, I'm going to do, and Jesus says, no, wait, wait, you're going to be totally sold out to me. Take up your cross, come and follow me, be with me. You know what, what total commitment to Christ is? You spend time with him. And I promise you, because 60% of the commandments are of doing good, I promise you, you relate with God, you're always going to do good. You relate with God before in your past, you'd slap somebody, but now because you're relating with God, you see things differently, and instead of slapping them, you stand strong, and you bring God to them to help them change because you walk in love. Why? Because Jesus is love. I, I, you know, I, through the years, and I guess now I am one of those, but through the years, 39 years now of, of ministry, is an amazing journey that I have had with thousands and thousands and thousands of people sitting down with them and hearing their heart. And it's all wrapped up in the same thing. If we have a right concept of God, we will do good things. We will do it righteously. If we have a wrong concept of God, we will always struggle with our relationship, our fellowship with God. And we'll try to better things by doing more. And I want to tell you, the right way to do it is have right relationship with God, right fellowship with God. When you encounter him, he'll transform you. Your concept of who God is will change, and you will be able to touch so many more lives and minister to so many more people because he will lead you. He will lead you to those who have been uh, readied by others, planting seed and watering. And you will be able to go and touch lives and, and minister to people like you've never done before. Why? Because it's about who you are. You're going to face people 
who are literally angry and, and sometimes evil. And there's nothing you can do about it. And you want to fight it. You want to do, do gooder. You want to do something better so that everybody around looks and says, Oh, isn't Gary wonderful? No. Jesus is wonderful. And if I'm doing what Jesus says to do, then I don't need to be concerned about what others think. Amen? Because you're just who you are. Amen? Let me just tell you. You get 100 people in a room, there's going to be some people that you're not going to get along with. Bottom line. And that sometimes it might be your fault. <laughs> Amen? Because you haven't had encounters with God. You've had encounters with life, and you're angry, and you're upset, and you're depressed. When you have encounters with God, you become transformed. That's a hair that just flew out. And I would be looking at that all the rest of the morning. It's gone. <laughs> so what's stopping you from taking up the cross? Matthew 16, let's read this. And Jesus says to the disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. Now, when we talk about the cross, we, we remember brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so played in a play, and brother so-and-so was Jesus on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he squeezes a plastic thing and blood falls down, and we have sheets on the ground so it doesn't get the carpet red. I'm not making fun of anything like that, but I'm just telling you. But our thinking of the cross is the play. In those days when Jesus said, you take up your cross, he's talking to people there that have seen people hanging on the cross, that saw death, that saw pain, the worst pain you'll ever face. And we get to a place where we push aside what Jesus is really saying. He said, I want you to understand you take pain. You will suffer if you will follow me. So you need total commitment. Life is real. And we are here loving Jesus and seeing God do miraculous things in our life. But there are millions of people outside these four walls dying and going to hell. There are millions of people that are hurting and they're trying to do good. They're like the rich young ruler. They're trying to make ends meet. They're trying to be a good person. And many people die being good, but when they die being good without Christ, they are going to hell. 
And, and the realization, what I am bringing to you is here, this rich young ruler had an encounter with Jesus and it changed him. And I'm always amazed that why Jesus or someone like Peter or Paul or John would write about the story of this young man. Well, it's in there. But most of what we get out of this young man is from a historical writer of the day. Again, the cross is a painful death. It is a total commitment to God. God requires the same total commitment from everyone, to him, for him, and on him. Everyone say Jesus. Church, it's about Jesus. It's about encountering Jesus. Keep doing good things. Keep ministering to people. Keep touching lives. Keep baking those pies for your neighbor because they're sick. But church, Jesus wants us. You can depend on God, and he won't let you down. So this young guy learned, first, I can't be good enough. Second, if I'm going to be a believer, I must be totally committed and take up the cross. So from my heart, the question we should ask is, am I totally committed? Am I totally committed? So here's the third thing the young man learned. He learned that Jesus loved him. Church, that will change you. And it breaks my heart because people have served Jesus for 30 and 40 and 50 years and they still don't realize that Jesus loves them. And they're still trying to be good enough. And they fall apart in their middle age, older age, because now they can't do as much as they used to do. To all you seniors here, I want you to understand, maybe today you don't have the energy you used to have, but I want to tell you, Jesus loves you. Don't you dare think you're not good enough. Don't you dare think that you're worthless because you can't do what you used to do because we've been brainwashed like this rich young ruler to do good and feel good about ourselves because we're doing good things. You need to feel good about yourself because Jesus loves you. Even though you mess up. Mark 10, 21, that says, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. <laughs> Wasn't he looking at him already? Wasn't he just talking to him? Or was it like this? Hey, man, how you doing? Oh, good. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Good to see you. That's really... Now, but there's something different looking at him. He looked at him and literally saw into the need of the young man. Every one of you have that same gift. But is it blocked by doing good? Jesus loved this young man. 
Jesus loved him enough to tell him the truth. It's amazing to me that I get people who come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I really want your opinion on this. And then I'll preface it because I've been in ministry so long because sometimes when I say the truth, that they get offended by me. And so then I'll say, well, you know, um, I know you're here for me to talk with you to help you, but are you here for me, this is what I'd like to say, are you here for me to say something you agree with so that you go away feeling good about yourself? Or are you really going to talk to me and listen and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me because I'm a pastor? Not because I'm a pastor, but because I have a heart of a pastor and I desire that you would walk out of my office knowing who you are and being able to conquer the world after you walk out of my office. Jesus loved him enough to tell him the truth, and he loved him enough to confront him in the area of his sin. But something very interesting in this story, I've been prefacing it all morning long. There's a lot of misconception where he, where he had to sell everything. The Bible doesn't say that he didn't do it. But that's our assumption because the Bible says he went away sad. Amen? So a lot of us think that this guy, young man walked away and said, done with that, dude. He had a struggle with his possessions. But Jesus said something that pierced his spirit, pierced his soul. And in that area, the concept that he had of Jesus totally changed. The concept he had of God totally changed. <clears throat> the Bible said he went away sad. Let me tell you, you would too if you knew how rich he was. But I'm going to tell you how rich he was. Many theologians believe they know who this young man is. He comes up to Jesus and used the word teacher, which is not a normal word used by others, but another guy in the Bible did use the same word. Many theologians believe this was Nicodemus. Something happened to Nicodemus. In John 7, it tells us that he defends Jesus before the Sanhedrin. And because he defended Jesus... He was kicked out because he became born again. The Sanhedrin kicked him out. He was a rich, young ruler. He was a ruler, and he was kicked out because he believed in Jesus. He learned to be totally committed. He became born again. He learned to be totally committed, and he learned that Jesus loved him. John chapter 19. He shows up after Jesus dies, with spices to embalm his body. Now, I'm going to ask you, did you know this? That Nicodemus' brother was a famous historian. His name was Josephus. You ever hear of Josephus? I got all his writings. Because he, he was his brother. He was a historian that wrote all the works of Christ, all the history of Israel, and of Christ. And you could get it from Josephus and find out. So what happens here is he documented all the history of that time, and Josephus 
talks about Nicodemus and said he was the richest man in Israel. The historian. Now watch this. Literally, he says, the studies, the historical studies, is that Nicodemus had enough money, they said he could support the whole state of Israel for 10 years. Also, that he was the youngest ruler the Sanhedrin ever had, called the richest, youngest ruler of all Israel. Now here's the last reason why historians, theologians, think Nicodemus is a rich young ruler. History writes and tells us Nicodemus sold everything he had and gave it to the poor. Now, was that what Jesus said to Nicodemus? To get to heaven, you got to sell everything, give it to the poor? No. But he said, that's what's keeping you, your possessions, your love for your possessions, is what's keeping your love for your doing good, is what's keeping you from encountering me in the right way. Wow. History tells us that Nicodemus spent the last 30 years living with someone else because he sold everything. Matter of fact, he was the best friend of Joseph who gave the tomb for Jesus' burial. Guess they got a good deal on that because he only used it three days. But Mark 10, 22 says he went away sad. But look at verse 23 of the same chapter. Mark 10, verse 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, verse 24, were astonished at his words But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who, here it is, trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Do you see this? All your life you've been told, sell everything. I've literally had people come to me and say, I don't want to sell everything. Is that what I have to do to go to heaven? I don't want to sell everything. I'm going to enjoy life here. And I'll just party with all my buddies in hell. Literally have people say that to me. And they freak out when I tell them you don't have to sell everything. Well, the Bible says, no, it doesn't. He says, he turns to the disciples because they're just like, sell everything? Listen, Jim, we're... We gave up our job, but you know what? Uh, I kept my net, folded it up, and I get to go back to it if this doesn't work out. Because what'd they do after Jesus was crucified? They went back fishing. 
Amen. They still weren't totally committed to the things of God. But children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God, who trust in themselves, who trust in their good, who trust in what they have, to drop it all, not trusting in that, and trust in Jesus. That has to change your concept of God, isn't it? You know how many Christians fight against prosperity? You know how many Christians think that people who have anything, you know, possessions, that they must have done something wrong, they must have sinned to get it? Because of this very story. Verse 26, And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Still didn't get it. But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible. Whatever you do, whatever you have, it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. It's impossible for you to save yourself. But what is possible, you could be saved because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Nicodemus, history, Josephus writes about him. Nicodemus was transformed because he had an encounter with God, Jesus. And with that encounter, it changed his concept of who God is and who he is. Mark 10, 29, so Jesus answered and said, surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, there's another one. Sorry, mom, dad. I went to church yesterday and I don't like you anymore. I can't hang around you anymore because I serve Jesus. And if I have to spend more time with you than I do with him, then I'm worthless. Religion steals, kills, and destroys. Relationship changes your concept of God. Hmm. Let's all stand.